Well, good evening and welcome to the Marriage Reform Prayer Call. My name is Kim Moore, and I'm so grateful that each one of you are here tonight. You know, I believe God is doing something big and amazing, and he is allowing us to take part. I mean, imagine that. The creator of the universe is allowing us to be a part of what he's doing, what he's implementing, and what he desires on the earth in the area of marriage. I mean, that's just amazing that this big God in control of everything chooses us, little people, to help him uh, carry out his will in the earth. And for those of those for those of you on the call for the first time, basically what we do is we pray. We I share uh, some kingdom principle or on the kingdom to marriage, and then we pray. And we do this every Wednesday. Have been doing this uh, since July first of 2018, and we are on this call because we are believing God for kingdom marriages all across this nation to light up. You know, you know, my personal desire and the desire, hopefully, of those on this call is that husbands and wives will be set free. I can't think of a husband that would say, I don't need any more freedom in my marriage. And so I hope and I pray that what we're doing here will set husbands and wives free so that they can experience more love and more power inside of their marriage so they don't have to step outside. And we believe that the kingdom is the answer. There's always a replay number. It's given at the end of the call. So if you miss something, you can go back and, and listen again and get what you missed. But also we're now on Spotify. And as I said last weekend, uh, John, uh, Amy's husband, set me up on Spotify. And so it's an app. You can download it. And it's called the Marriage Reform, Marriage Reform with Kim Moore. We're on Spotify at Marriage Reform with Kim Moore. Well, tonight is part two of the series, Five Differences Between Kingdom Marriage and Religious Marriage. Uh, but two things I wanted to share before I got started. After last week's call, um, I was talking with a lady uh, on the call, and she was asking me my position uh, and whether I was in favor of man caves and she shed, you know, or whether I was against them. And last week I used those examples of husbands and wives feeling like they couldn't be themselves around each other. And so avoiding the pain, they just retreated to these places to be by themselves. And, you know, my thing is, as anything with God, he's concerned with the motive of our heart. He is concerned with why we do what we do. And man caves and she caves, they can be fabulous places of rest, relaxation, and joy, enjoyment. And there's nothing wrong with a man cave or a she cave in and of itself. I mean, I enjoy my little space that I have. Again, it's about what is the reason that you're using it. To me, it's sad that a growing number of people, husbands and wives that I speak to, and it's common, that they don't feel like they can be themselves with their spouse. And to me, a man cave or she cave may, may not be the answer. It may require something more than that. It may require the, that husband or wife to just dig a little deeper. And the second thing I want to clarify is this. Um, last week I began the series on distinguishing kingdom marriage from traditional marriage. And I took great care not to condemn traditional marriage or offend those in them. And I explained that traditional marriage works for some, and, and these are happy. But, I mean, the next day I was praying for marriages, and I felt like there was this impenetrable steel wall in front of me, and I could not press through this, this steel barrier. Uh, and I felt this barrier before when praying for marriages, but in the past I just keep, kept pressing forward and just I got tired. So I just, okay, Lord, in Jesus' name, and ended the prayer. I don't know if that's happened to you. And, you know, and I've denounced it in the past, um, but really gave it little attention beyond that. But this time it was different. I mean, this door was, it was like a silvery uh, color, but a, a muted silver. And it was big and it was heavy. Um, and it, it just seemed so massive and, and burdensome. But I couldn't get around it. I couldn't go over it. And I couldn't go under it. And so with no other option, I'm like, okay, God, what is this? And two words rose up in me. And they were religious spirit. And I believe the Lord was telling me at that time that there is a religious spirit 
prevailing in the area of marriage. I saw a post today, uh, a gentleman was talking about sacred cows, and I posted on there, so what's the sacred cow in marriage? And if I had to name one, it would be a religious mindset. And so um, I began to grapple with that and talk to the Lord about that. And I knew, I mean, I thought about it, it was like this flashback of conversations I had with, with pastors and ministers and husbands, wives, compounded by my own 27-year experience in a religious marriage. And one of the goals of a religious spirit is to shut us up, to shut us down. And so who, we, who and what we won't confront is what and who controls us. And so the Lord would share with me, listen, you've got to deal with this. You must deal with this. It's not going to go away by talking around it or being polite. You must deal with this. I really felt the rebuke of the Lord, and here's why. In Matthew 9, 12, Mark 2, 17, and Luke 5, 31, Jesus said he didn't come for the healthy, rather those that are not well. And while there are husbands and wives that are well, disproportionately there are husbands and wives that I find that are not well, and they are relating to each other based on a traditional or religious mindset. There, it's just it's unbelievable how many church. They go to church every day. They say, bless, how are you? I'm blessed and highly favored. And you lead everybody else. And as soon as they get in the car, it's like the, 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 somebody flips a switch or something. I mean, it's just like unbelievable. Charming and, and happy and ready to help a church. And just at home, and it's just like they re- retreat to their corners, like their roommates or something. And the thing is, it's not just people in the pew. I mean, these, some of these marriages are preaching and teaching, have anointings and gifts. And so I repented because I, I, my reason for calling it traditional is because I didn't want to alienate the healthy. And so I chose a more traditional word, uh, a, word a more polite word, such as tradition. And then also I didn't want to offend. I mean, I have friends in ministry that are gifted and anointed in their respective lanes, but their marriage is jack. And I want it to be kind to them. I, I want it to be well with them. And I didn't want to uh, be harsh. But the question of a dear friend after my last call, or maybe it was before the call, um, she said that um, she was asking me some questions. She said, Kim, you know, or I took away, let me say this, I took away from that conversation that my politeness was causing confusions, confusion by virtue of her questions. And so what I came to conclude was that in this area, if we're going to experience a divine reset, if we are going to take back marriage and live it the way God intends us to live it, then we need clear kingdom voices. And so at this point and from here on out, I'm going to call it a religious marriage. And um, if your marriage is happy and healthy, I bless you in the name of Jesus. But for me right now, I need to address what God is asking me to address as we take this journey. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for love and kindness toward us to believe. I thank you for the grace to grow, to change, and conform my will to your will, my mind to your mind, my emotion to your emotion. Father, I thank you that you chose us to be here together tonight, all of those on the call, and we accept your, accepted your invitation. I thank you, Lord, for allowing me to see husbands and wives breaking out all over this nation in joy and gladness because you have set them free, God, from religion and the traditions of men that they may love and prosper through their marriages, Father. I thank you for the faith of the faithful on this call each week. And that, Lord, that as we join ourselves together in you, Father God, I know that without faith it is impossible to please God. And if two or touches agree concerning anything, you would bring the past what they've agreed upon. So tonight, Father God, we offer you our faith. We offer you our hearts. We thank you in the name of Jesus that we are becoming kingdom-minded, kingdom builders, and kingdom outposts in the area of marriage for your glory and for the purposes that you have ordained before the foundation of the world. I thank you for entrusting me, God, with this message, Lord. I thank you that you've made me tough-minded, God, 
full of love and grace, yet but truth, Lord. Apples of gold and picture frames of silver, Father. I thank you, Lord, and I thank you for making your word plain to us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, that's it. Let's get in tonight, and I see it's 9-11, and so uh, normally it ends at 9-30. I'm just going to have to go with this. If you have to jump off at 9-30, I am not offended. I'm not insulted, but I really want to get this this message to you and get this word in the atmosphere that we can pray over it and it can begin to produce the fruit in the lives that God intends it. So last week, the first difference that we talked about had to do with the model. We said that religious marriage is modeled on hierarchy, Christ, husband, wife, children. Kingdom marriage is based on relationships that uses hierarchy to get things done, legitimate things, big things, God-sized things that, we, that neither one can do alone. I gave you the example of the father and the son who were in relationship but used hierarchy to accomplish redemption of mankind. And then and now they are in a relationship model once again. So they lived in relationship, but they worked through hierarchy. One of the challenges in marriage is that we try to live in hierarchy and work through relationship. It doesn't work. It's backwards and is not the way God intended it. We said that kingdom marriage is based on, on relationship of equals. It's based on husband and wife's ability to connect, and connection is necessary for emotional bonding and intimacy. But tonight I want to go deeper. So the second difference in religious marriage, I'm sorry, the second difference between religious marriage and kingdom marriage is religious marriage is much more rule-driven and kingdom marriage is love-driven. So follow it, hierarchy rules, relationship love. So you will see the connections as we go forward and how they how in the kingdom it all works together for the good of those that love God. So what I want to share with you tonight are just four things that a religious marriage does to husbands and wives and, um, and then the, the, the contrast to the kingdom. So the first one, and probably um, wives experience this probably more than husbands, but I, I dare say that husbands experience it too, possibly in a different way. So the first is a religious marriage replaces the identity of the person, of the wife, and the husband with that of husband or wife. So now you're not, uh, the the focus is not on you being a Christian. The focus is not on you being a human being or a male or female. The focus is that you are a husband or wife, and that adversely affects wives more so than husbands. And the reason is because wives or women are given to, ma- uh, to men in marriage. Men aren't given to women in marriage. And so it affects women differently because, just an example, she takes on his last name. And, again, I'm not, I'm, I'm not putting that down. I, that's great. Hear what I'm saying, that she, she is – uh, married or given into something and given into her husband and takes on his identity. And so here's an example. I guess better explains it. Uh, a personal friend of mine expressed frustration because her husband was on, on a church staff. The unspoken expectation of the church was that she served too. It was like a two-for-one deal. As his wife, she was expected to help be present at all services and activities, attend staff retreats. She loved her church, but she also had her own career and did not desire this level of involvement. In in this situation, religious marriage, the emphasis was on her identity as being a wife to this husband. It had nothing to do with her skills, abilities, or even her interests. It had everything to do with the fact she was the wife of this husband, and therefore she needed to be there in support of her husband. Another example, and this is a personal one. I remember doing a marriage seminar, and toward the end of the pa- toward, toward the end, the pastor asked, asked my ex-husband, "Would you preach the Sunday service?" He had he had a previous commitment and couldn't. I, however, 
was staying over to visit a real good friend of mine. And my ex-husband told the pastor as much. The pastor asked me to give greetings, not to preach, and he underlined greetings. And remember, I just taught three days at a marriage seminar, and he's saying, give greetings. When he called me to the podium, he did not know what to call me. After stumbling over words, he settled on introducing me as a wife and a sister. Again, my identity was as a wife, and it overrode the fact that I was an ordained minister and speaker. So again, what is being reinforced in the religious model of marriage is that your identity is not in Christ, but is in your husband. The rule is that your identity revolves around your husband. And here's the thing. When a wife's identity is in her husband, it places incredible pressure upon the husband to perform and to provide. I mean, I can't imagine the weight if someone's total identity rests with you. That whole personhood rests with you. I mean, I can see why husbands used to joke years ago, and some of you might chuckle at this, where they called the wife the old ball and chain. That's the kind of weight they're taking on when they take on the identity or responsibility for the identity of another. Listen, wives nor husbands are made. Wives aren't made in the, in, in the image and likeness of their husbands, and husbands aren't made in the image and likeness of their wife. Of their wife. Our identity is in Christ. Kingdom marriage reinforces one's identity in Christ. God said in Genesis 127, God created man in his own image. In his image, God created them, male and female. He created them. We were created in the image of God, not in the image of each other. Wow. I remember when we, when, uh, at one point I, I was talking with somebody. I said, yeah, I mean, I know God told us to become one, but we're fighting over which one of us we should become. And the reality of it is God's not interested in the wife becoming the husband or the husband becoming the wife. He's interested in us um, relating and identifying with him. 2 Corinthians 5.17, he says, if anyone is in Christ, he has become an entirely new creation. All that is related to the old order has vanished. Behold, everything is fresh and new, and God has made all things new and reconciled us to himself and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So through the cross, we're born again, recreated in the image of God, not that of man. And then here's the thing. It doesn't, in marriage, becoming a husband and wife, does not, um, does, not, does not dismiss John 1.12, says, but as many as embraced him and took hold of his name were given authority to become the children of God. So our identity must be in Christ. And religious marriage, it denies or it replaces the identity, our being able to identify with Christ, with identifying it with each other, and that historically and sometimes present tense affects wives more so than husbands. So what's the takeaway? Religion reinforces husbands and wives' identity with each other or the wife and the husband, and kingdom reinforces husbands and wives identifying with Christ. Number two, religious, uh, religious ma- uh, ma- uh, marriage offers a false hope. It promises husbands and wives that their needs will be met through each other and even promises this. And, and the model of hierarchy and its related systems with role, uh, gender roles and gender needs is set up to accommodate your needs getting met by your spouse. And so <clears throat> you'll hear a lot of teaching on roles and needs and the needs of men and needs of women and all those kinds of things. And, um, so we, we go into marriage with this idea why my husband's going to provide for me, and, and, and sometimes husbands go into marriage with the idea that, hey, you know, my wife's going to take care of all my needs. Now, I need to pause here for just one second just to remind you that the purpose of hierarchy is to produce something bigger, better than either husband or wife could alone. 
Hierarchy is not about, uh, it is about doing something great together. It makes sense that wives do satisfy the needs of husbands and vice versa. The problem in the religious model is that uh, who is doing the motivating? Is it altruistic or is it self-serving? You know, what, what are you doing? What's motivating you meeting the need of your spouse? Is it out of the free will offering of your heart? Is it out of your relationship with the Lord? Or is it inherent to some religious model of prescribed roles and needs that you and I have bought into? Because what happens, what happens when your needs cease to be satisfied? What happens when your husband or wife stop doing and nothing bigger is resulting from you relating to each other in this hierarchy? And so religion gives husbands and wives false hope, false expectations, leading husbands and wives to feel entitled and even start demanding. Here's an example. A wife's hope. My husband will provide. When he cannot or does not, the wife What's the wife, when he cannot, the wife remembers that he's supposed to provide. So what does she do? She prays. She reminds him of the word. She signs him up for the next marriage retreat, uh, men's retreat, tells her pastor, talks about it with her friends, gets angry, get a job or some combination of the above. Could this wife possibly feel robbed and cheated because religion told her that her husband is supposed to provide? And he should provide. And all of the pressure is put on him to provide. Again, there's nothing wrong with a husband providing for his wife. But the expectation of a wife that he will, because this is the way it's supposed to be, uh, many of you, some of you on this phone know that that does not happen in many cases. I mean, what if the husband had an injury or a health condition that prevents him from providing? What if he has a disability, and yet his disability check barely covers the bills? What kind of husband is he in the religious model? How does religion address his self-worth when he can't provide one of the major things the religious model tells husbands they must do? And since that characteristic is so prominent, what do we tell him now? What would religion say? Maybe 1 Timothy 5.8, but if anyone not provide for his own, especially for those of his own house, he is denied the faith and he's worse than an infidel? This man can't provide. So the point that I'm making is the religious model does not transcend all circumstances. Only the kingdom and kingdom truth transcend all circumstances. Here's another example. Husband's uh, hope for sex. You know, oftentimes married and have this idea that that they're going to have all the sex that they want. Maybe some don't, but it's, you know, not uncommon for that to be to be a thought. First Corinthians 7, 4, and 5 says, this is scripture, and we, we stand on. The wife does not have authority over her own body. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his body, but the wife does. Don't deprive one another that you may give yourself to fasting and prayer. Then come together again so Satan does not tempt you for lack of self-control. So, again, when we use scriptures like this to reinforce the responsibility or require or demand that a wife perform, then we're in a religious mindset. Uh, In the kingdom, uh, honors people's free will and their choice. 1 Corinthians 7, 9, speaking to the widows, Paul said, but if they cannot contain, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn. Now, how many husbands and wives do you know got married because they were either having sex or could not, uh, could not maintain the temptation, and so it was better for them to get married than to burn. Um, sex is a big deal in marriage, and God intended it that way. He intended it for the mutual fulfillment. But what happens when a wife is unable to match her husband's sexual appetite or freedom in the bedroom? What happens if past rape or molestation affects her ability to take part the way her husband may desire? What happens if a medical condition prevents her from having sex? You say, oh, those are exceptions. Really? That happens a lot. One of the areas most challenging for husbands and wives is the area of sex. What does he do? Pray? Remind her of what the word says? Suggest she goes to counseling because she has a problem? 
talk to her pastor, complain with his buddies, get angry, masturbate, use pornography, commit adultery, maybe some combination of the both. Wow, how's that religious model working for you now? What does religion tell him? Since apparently they've lied to him by assuring him, guaranteeing almost, that his wife will meet his needs. In a religious marriage, there is an inflexibility of roles and needs as prescribed by gender. It's inflexible. It's rigid. It is rule-based. In a religious marriage, hierarchy. Let me give you this picture. I I like pictures because they help me understand a little bit better. But in a religious marriage, hierarchy is like a cast iron skillet set on the top of a low flame. Inside are husbands and wives who start off eagerly trying to meet each other's needs because that's what they've been told would happen. But as the skillet gets hotter through life's challenges, the demands of work, the ministry, children, finances, Uh, They start scrambling to meet each other's needs. And then in an effort to, I mean, then the the skillet gets so hot, and then in an effort to survive, they start throwing elbows and maneuvering. They, They begin to preserve their own lives, yet both of them are in this skillet. And eventually, they're fried. French toast, just toast, done, no love, no emotional connection, no sex, no desire, no nothing. Religious marriage promises husbands and wives that their needs will be met by the other. The hierarchy model, along with gender roles, attempts to ensure this, but it doesn't work for at least three reasons, and I'll share those with you next week. Kingdom marriage is built on the model of relationship, each one having their identity in Christ, each one properly related to Christ, first and foremost. Each one is a kingdom citizen, accountable to the king. Each one dependent on the king for provision. Each one understanding that God meets needs and very much enjoys using our spouse. But please understand, except in the area of sex, your spouse is not God's only option for meeting your needs. Let me say that again. Except in the area of sex, God is, your spouse is not God's only option for meeting your needs. What's this? In Matthew 6, 31 through 33. So don't worry about these things, what you will eat, what you will drink, what you will put on, what you will wear. These things dominate the thought of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously or in right relationship with Christ, and he will give you everything you need. Wait a minute. minute. If I seek first the kingdom, no, I'm a wife or a husband. If I seek first the kingdom, this is not a joint commandment. This is, it says, so don't worry about the things. It says, these things dominate the unbeliever, but your heavenly father, not your marriages, not your husbands, not your wife, your heavenly father already knows all your needs. Husband, God already knows your needs. Wife, God already knows your needs. And the way to get them answered through the kingdom is to seek the kingdom of God and rightly relating to Christ. And as a result, he will give you everything you need. And then you know Philippians 4.19, I'm convinced, Paul's saying, I'm convinced that my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. My God shall supply your needs. Somehow when we get married, these, these verses just kind of elude us. I don't think they really elude us. I think that religious mindsets in marriage um, are unable because they are, it is set up for man to imitate what God intended to do through the kingdom. Psalm 37 and 25 says, I've been young and I've been old, and yet I've not seen the uncompromisingly righteous forsaken or their seed found begging bread. So those of you wives, God said that the righteous, those who are in right relationship with Christ, seeking first the kingdom of, uh, of God, God will not forsake them or their children. Wow. 
first because in the event that your husband cannot provide, God has not forsaken you, and your seed, your children, you nor your children will be found begging bread. Here's the takeaway. Religious marriage is rule-driven and based on a prescribed set of gender needs that do not take into full consideration all of the things that make a person unique. So religious marriage is rule-driven. It's based on prescribed set of gender needs that the other is charged with meeting. Kingdom marriage is love-driven. It is based on one's relationship with God as, as with God as with God, and that the need of each one is met by the king himself, and he loves when a spouse says, I'll meet that need. Lord, I'll meet that need. I'll meet my husband's need. I'll meet my spouse's need. But it's not because somebody demanded, commanded you to meet that need. It's because out of your relationship with the Lord, your desire is to meet the need. See, whatever doesn't come from love and desire eventually will feel like obligation and duty. And if you feel obligated and dutiful um, all the time, you might want to rethink that. I do know occasionally in marriage we do feel dutiful and obligated, and sometimes that's all that gets us through a particular time. But if you characterize the majority of your marriage as duty and obligation, what freedom is that? Wow. And then number three, religious marriage discourages personal responsibility. In, in May 2013, Pat Robertson, answering a viewer, who was having difficulty forgiving her husband, who was cheating. Here's what Robertson said, and these I quote, the secret is to stop talking about the cheating. He cheated on you. Well, he's a man. Okay. Robertson went on to suggest her to remember why she married her husband, whether he was providing for her needs and those of her children. And then he added, is he handsome? Then start focusing on these things. And essentially, you just need to fall in love again. And then I quote, males have a tendency to wander a little bit. And what you want to do is make a home so wonderful that he doesn't want to leave. I heard it another way. Make the home so wonderful that he doesn't want to leave and he can't wait to get back home. Pat Robertson just effectively made her husband's sin her responsibility, denying her husband the opportunity to take responsibility and repent. Worse, he endorsed it. Wow. Here's another example. Religion sometimes religion denies wives the opportunity to take responsibility for themselves. When we indoctrinate wives to believe husbands will provide for them, so much so that they refuse to work, although it would benefit their families, we have successfully made husbands responsible for their wives' well-being, even though she is able to contribute. God is responsible for providing. He loves to use our spouse. But when he doesn't, his hands are not tied Listen, some husbands will, will do and are able to provide comfortable lives for their wives, but not all. There are some wives that don't have to work outside of the home, but there are a disproportionate number of wives that may have to work outside of the home and do work outside of the home. But when we promise, guarantee, and indoctrinate wives into thinking that their husbands will, will provide, will, must, should provide, we're lying. And worse, we don't offer any recourse to these wives when it doesn't happen. But even then, you know, I know, I know a, a godly woman. She was upset because this is true. This is a client. The godly woman, she was upset because although her husband was working two jobs, it was barely enough to cover their expenses. She encouraged him, nurtured him, you know, all the things that wives are supposed to do. You know, even encouraged him to pursue higher-paying jobs. She signed him up for the church's annual marriage retreat. Um, I'm sorry, men's retreat. I don't know why I want to keep saying marriage, but men's retreat. He, she asked her circle of friends to pray with her that he would find favor, receive a promotion. 
but she did not offer to help by getting so much as a part-time job to relieve the pressure upon him. That's religious marriage. That's a religious indoctrination of marriage. You're supposed to, so I won't. Or you're supposed to, so I don't have to. That is rule-driven. The kingdom is based on love. The kingdom would say, honey, you know, I really appreciate you working two jobs. I mean, I can see how stressed out you are. I'm going to begin to look for a job and a part-time or full-time to take some of the pressure off of you. I love you that much. I don't want to see you struggle that way. And I'm going to keep praying that God will give you a promotion and that he will just double your income. But in the meantime, let me help. That's what the kingdom says. In this particular situation, when the, when the husband had enough, couldn't take any more, the pressure was too great, had kids and a wife, and it became unbearable. He called it quits and just left. Thanks to the religious model of marriage. See, it doesn't just harm women or wives. It is harming and has harmed husbands. When we make husbands and wives responsible for each other, we violate the kingdom principle of personal responsibility. The principle is this, and Jesus said it. In John 10:17, this is the Amplified Classic, and I don't know about you, but, but when Jesus speaks, I esteem those words more than any other Bible figure because he was closest to the Father, and he was in the beginning with the Father. So if anyone understood God's will, if anyone understands the kingdom, and if anyone lived the kingdom, he is by far the best example. And this is what he says. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my own life to take it up again. No one takes it from me. On the contrary, I lay it down voluntarily. I am authorized and have power to lay it down, and I am authorized and have power to take it back again. These instructions, orders, which I have received as my charge, are from my Father. Listen, Jesus did not assign his ability to think, act, or decide for himself to anyone under any circumstances, married or unmarried. That's a kingdom truth. A kingdom truth requires that every kingdom citizen take responsibility for themselves, and every kingdom citizen will have to give up the luxury of blame. See, religious model of marriage, it, it facilitates blame. It enables us to uh, defer responsibility to another. But what Jesus is saying is it's voluntary. It's always voluntary. Philippians 2.6 says that he chose to lay down his life. He didn't think it was robbery to be equal with his father. It's just not something that he was going after because he had something to do. Submission to the will of another is always voluntary in the kingdom. The condition is that he could stop submitting or withdraw his consent to submit at any time. The Garden of Gethsemane, he said he distinguished his will from his father's. And nevertheless, he chose his father over himself. He chose to yield to his father. And then in Matthew 26, 53, and 54, it says, don't you realize that I could ask my heavenly father for angels to come down and deliver me? And instantly he would answer me by sending 12 uh, armies of, of the angelic host to come and protect us? But that would thwart the prophetic plan of God, for it has been written that it would happen this way. So please understand. Jesus did not write a blank sign, a blank check called submission and put uh, anyone's name on it. He submitted as a voluntary act of his will, and it was conditional and conditioned based on his father's will. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 and 4, this is the Passion Translation. It says, God's will is for you to be set apart for him in holiness that you keep yourselves unpolluted. 
must guard your sexual purity and holiness. Another translation said it's God's will that each one possess his own body, take responsibility for his own thoughts, his own body, his own action, and his own decisions. So not only did Jesus exemplify that, Paul is confirming that. And then verse 8 reads this, Therefore, if anyone refuses to live by this rule, what rule? To take responsibility for yourself, what you think, how you feel, how you behave, what you decide. He is not disobeying human teaching, but he is rejecting God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So when we don't take responsibility for ourselves in marriage, then we are rejecting God. We are alienating ourselves from God and his kingdom. Self-control is a personal responsibility, a command and a fruit of the spirit in Galatians 5, through 23. Of a husband or wife to manage or control the other. We were created to rule the earth and to relate to each other. Listen, when we attempt to control our spouse, we engage in manipulation. And we are rejecting the command. Religious marriage promotes disobedience to God by making husbands and wives responsible for each other. Wow. Kingdom marriage is built on a relational model that encourages personal responsibility and makes allowance and provision for others' choices in the marriage. So, you know, there are times where your spouse may not be adhering to the will of God. Well, there's a provision for you. You're not powerless. Jesus said, I'm not giving my power uh, just away indiscriminately. So we're not powerless in marriage. Husband, you are not powerless to a domineering and controlling wife. And there are a lot of them, and some of them, unfortunately, are right in the kingdom, and uh, I'm sorry, right in the church, and preaching and teaching and doing all other kinds of things, but they are just as controlling and manipulative, and it is a rejection of God's will and his kingdom. Takeaway number three is this. Religious-based, rule-driven marriage discourages husbands and wives from taking personal responsibility for what they think, feel, act, and decide. Kingdom marriage is love-based and is relational and, and love-based and relies on the willingness of each one to take to, to take part in the relationship responsibly. And then the last one, religious marriage denies the Holy Spirit. Wow. Like the Pharisees, religious marriage is more concerned with an adherence to the hierarchy, to, to the law, and to the rules of engagement. For example, how a husband and wife interact. You know, it, 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 the, the, the religious model tells, it prescribes how husbands and wives are interacting with each other. I can't tell you. I, I read some books from the 50s, and I about fell out on the floor about some of the rules. Be, we don't even have time, but they're hilarious, some of the rules for interacting and engaging husbands and wives. You know, the majority of literature on marriage, even from well-meaning, well-respected Christian authors, address this either by emphasizing roles, his needs and her needs, or the order of the hierarchy, husbands being head of the wife. When you hear this language, when you read this language, it is almost always a dead giveaway that religion is speaking to you. And stop here a minute. How many times, think about this. How many times did Jesus instruct, command, or demand his disciples to respect him? Let that sink in. How many times did he ask for, demand, or encourage his disciples to respect him? See, we misunderstand respect and reverence. They're two different things. And really quickly, gosh, it's 945. The respect, you, you get respect. Respect is based on performance. It's based on reform. We all know people that we respect because of their performance, but we don't like their person. And there are people that we like as a person, but we don't respect their work ethic or their performance. 
So respect rises and falls on performance. Reverence has to do with who someone is. And so God will never give a wife a reason to be irreverent, although there may be reason to be disrespectful of performance. I can't stay there. Y'all just have to take that and sit with it a second. In Matthew 23 and in Luke 11, Jesus had some scathing things to say about those that were beholden to laws and the rules of engagement. Listen, we don't have time to read all of that, but I mean, my gosh, he just, it's like a battering. He just went boom, 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 boom. There were so many, it was like, oh, my gosh, here are a few. Here are a few things that he indicted them or had a problem with. He said, you adhere to the traditions of men, and you have an obsession with external order. Whenever there's an obsession with hierarchy, it is a religious spirit involved. It says, you do this and ignore the corrupt condition of your own heart. That's Luke eleven thirty nine and 40. In a religious marriage, uh, he says this. He says this to the, to the Pharisees. He says, there is a concern with important, the important, with your importance. You love honor and titles and respect and public rec- recognition. So in the religious model, it's all about title, positioning, who you are. Luke 11:43. not who you are, but where you are. Where are you on the totem pole? You know, titles, respect. The emphasis, the emphasis on respect in marriage is unbelievable. There was a book not too long ago called Love and Respect, and I tell you what, it has done more damage, in my opinion, to Christian marriages than it has helped. Once again, it has genderized needs. Listen, Husbands have a need for respect, and so do wives. And so I say if you want more respect, up your game. Just up your game. Because even if people don't like you, they'll respect you if you're performing. But if you want reverence, that's not something that can be earned. That's something that you're giving, that's bestowed upon you because of who you are. That is the outworking of someone else's heart to you. You can't earn that. In fact, you can be performing poorly and still be, uh, be received in a reverent fashion. And then he says this of the religious model or of to the Pharisees. He says, character uh, is hidden. Your true corrupt character is hidden. And one of the things that religious marriage does, it hides the corrupt character of husbands and wives. Religious marriage proponents largely made up of philosophers, intellectuals, and all the experts, 1146. So these are the smart people. All the smart people got us into this religious predicament. And then they're the experts of the law and religion that he says. So the smart people and the theologians got us into this predicament. Luke 1153. Listen. There is nothing relational, or I put it this way, there in, 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 um, in religious marriage, the relationships are mechanical. They are man-made. They are designed to compel behavior even when you're in internally disagreement, even when the Lord is saying, no, don't take part, don't sign up for that uh, religious model of marriage you to participate oftentimes through a coercion of your will. The plan of God was to have a relationship with humanity, male and female, who in turn would have a relationship with each other, namely through a marital, marital covenant, and then go on to take dominion of the earth. And so Jesus' relationship with God, and then he reintroduces the kingdom to us. See, we lost the kingdom. We lost dominion when we fell, and Jesus came to restore the kingdom and to restore our authority as men and women and as husband and wives to take dominion over the earth. He preached the kingdom. His intent was the kingdom-minded husbands and wives, not religious. But I think one of the most compelling and scathing things that Jesus said about the religious model is this. What sorrow awaits you, you experts of religion, religious law, for you remove the key of knowledge, the key to knowledge from the people. 
You don't enter the kingdom yourself prevent others from entering. The religious model of marriage based on hierarchy, based on rules, has prevented husbands and wives from experiencing the freedom and the power that comes from living inside of the kingdom of God. Wow. Laws and rules focus on external behavior. The Holy Spirit addresses the internal behavior. So I said in number four, the religious model of marriage denies the spirit. In Ezekiel 36, 27, it says, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall heed do them. John 4, 13 and 14, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water that I shall give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. And then 2 Corinthians 6, 16, or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. The Holy Spirit's role is to lead us into the kingdom, to teach us eternal truth, to convict us when we're erring to the right or to the left, to show us when we're missing the mark, to comfort us, to develop our relationship with God and with each other. See, in the kingdom, uh, the spirit is in charge. In religious marriage, man is in charge. Religious, the religious model of marriage is man's attempt to imitate the kingdom. Galatians 5.8 says this, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Jesus came to fulfill the law. He was the consummation of the law and the consummation of the spirit, together, embodied in one person. He came to set us free from the law that we might serve him by the grace and the power of God. And that, my friends, requires your free will. And that does not go away because you say, I do. So takeaway number four is this, religious marriage denies the spirit of God access to the heart of husbands and wives by focusing on the laws and rules in an attempt to manage husbands and wives' behavior. Kingdom marriage is concerned with your inner life. So religious marriage is concerned with your outer life. Kingdom marriage is concerned with your inner life and behavior as husbands and wives. Kingdom marriage relies on the Holy Spirit and our relationship with the Holy Spirit to direct us. Religious marriage was never God's intention for husbands and wives today. But so many husbands and wives suffer needlessly in marriage because they're stuck in rule-based models of marriage that block freedom by hijacking the identity of each one, by promoting false hopes that each one's needs will be met by the other, by disallowing personal responsibility and denying the Spirit of God access to the heart. Religious marriage denies God's people entrance. And today it will take nothing less than a kingdom mentality from kingdom citizens who are male and female who also happen to be married to fulfill the plans of purposes of God in this hour. Kingdom marriage is about relationship. It's love-based. It's freedom-producing for both husbands and wives. It takes the pressure off of husbands to be the end-all and, and be all of everything. It takes the responsibility of wives, feeling like they have to take care of everything. It restores each one's dignity. Oh, my God. Oh, I hope you're here. Kingdom restores your dignity. It restores your personhood. It restores all of this as you identify with Christ. It places the expectation that God will meet your needs and rejoices whenever he's able to use your spouse. Oh, it delights him to be able to use your spouse. But in the kingdom, he's not limited to your spouse. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And we look to him from whence our help comes. Kingdom marriage encourages personal responsibility and gives God complete access to the heart. Kingdom marriage is an individual decision made by a husband and wife that they live out together in this thing called marriage. 
or in spite of one another in this thing called marriage. Kingdom marriage is our best opportunity to experience deep, intimate, powerfully loving, formidable bonds that can take dominion in the areas that God has given us influence. So, Father, I thank you again for showing up and speaking out. I pray that your sheep would hear your voice, that the words I've spoken, Lord, are from your very heart as I've marinated in you, God, all these many days, Father. I thank you and I praise you that you're not speaking to condemn any, rather that you want your people to be free in Jesus' name. You said that you have come to set your people free for freedom's sake. And so, Father, tonight we reject every thought, every activity, anything, God, that would deny the freedom of your people to think, decide, and choose for themselves in marriage. Father, we thank you that you want your people to experience more freedom, more love, more power, personal power inside of marriage so they don't have to step out. I thank you for your Holy Spirit, for without him we can do nothing. Hear that. Without him we can do nothing. So the religious model is based on what man can do, and yet God condemns it, saying without the Spirit you can do nothing. He is our help. You are our help, God, and our strength in time of need. Lord, I pray for those in religious marriages. They know it, they feel it, and they've suffered long enough. And, Lord, I say tonight, enough is enough is enough. We plead the blood of Jesus and declare kingdom authority in the profess the name of Jesus Christ. Father God, we pray that you would bring your sword that is quick and powerful. And, God, you would begin to slice and dice and cut off all those things that do not reflect your kingdom, Father. We thank you that you would begin to expose, like at no other time, God, a religious mindset at work in marriages, God. Lord, I pray that you would cause, Lord, pings to go off, Lord, in minds and hearts, God. Anytime we accept, we attempt, Lord, to, Lord, interact based on religious, a religious model, God. May the light of your word penetrate the deepest parts of your people's beings, God, and cause them to rise up according to John 10, 18. Give wisdom to those, Lord, how to navigate their situation, and especially those that are experiencing abuse. Lord, I pray that, Lord, your Holy Spirit would guide these and deliver them from all forms of abuse now in Jesus' name. Lord, I know that when your revelation goes forth, you dispense grace to yield to it. I pray for the grace of these tonight in Jesus' name. And, Father, I pray for all those in the fivefold ministry, ministry gifts that you, Lord, have called and ordained to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. I pray that the spirit of humility, God, would come upon these experts in Scripture, gifted and anointed in their circles of influence, respected and followed by men and women with titles and positions of importance, God. These things mean nothing to you, God. Lord, I thank you, and I speak too. not I, but the Spirit of God. And the Spirit, the Spirit says to the Spirit of man, bring yourselves to the light. Come, let us reason together that you might be acquitted of this evil. Receive the gift of repentance and learn from me, for my burden is light and my yoke is easy. I release the grace to hear and receive the words, of the, the words of the Father tonight in Jesus' name. Lord, I bless these on the call. I bless you, and I thank you, Lord. I pray that I glorify your name. Father God, I thank you that you are lifting scales from people's eyes tonight, even as your word has gone forth. I thank you, Lord, that even some are already beginning to rejoice, God, as they have received the truth, God. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for all those that begin jumping for joy in Jesus' name. Lord, I bless you and I thank you for them. Now, don't forget, next Saturday on January 25th, we will be in Montgomery, Alabama, on the steps of the Capitol at 12 noon. We will be declaring kingdom marriage afterwards. Uh, as many of us as can or many of you as can, we will gather at a local restaurant, break some bread, talk about kingdom marriage. Everybody's welcome, married, unmarried, want to be married, separated, divorced, any who believe that it's time for the divine of marriage, and I tell you, it is here. It's a kingdom event. It's open to all that want to hear and be a part 
of this divine reset. We need folks to pray, show up, and also give financially as we take this message to all 50 states. For more info you, or to invest, you can go to more, my last name, M-O-O, that's three O's, M-O-O-R-E, on relationships.com. You can also like us on Facebook at Kim Moore Ministries. You can listen to the replay tonight on Spotify. It'll be up shortly at Marriage Reform with Kim Moore or by dialing 605-475-4980. And the access code is 341-000-POUND. And the reference code for tonight's call is 82 pounds. Well, I've talked about the hierarchy and relationship. We compared rules versus love. And next week we will talk about needs, needs, his needs and her needs and our needs. And so I pray that you can be on the call with us. I thank you for allowing me to go beyond 930. I think I need to take that off because we need fresh revelation uh, in the area of marriage. And so I bless you, and again, I thank you for being on the call, and hopefully, God willing, you will be able to join us next week. God bless you. Good night.